Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. We're really so honored to have with us Pastor Mike McClure of Calvary Chapel, San Jose. And we have two attorneys, Bob Tyler, who's been a friend of mine for, oh my goodness, Bob, we've been buddies for a long time, way back, I guess, Proposition 8, 2008. It's probably when 20, we Prop 22, even before that. Yeah. And then Mariah Dundero. Mariah's a firebrand. She's a go-getter attorney. You're going to hear from her in a moment as well. She's an association with Bob Tyler in the causes for religious liberty that we care deeply about. But let's first of all, why don't you pray for us first, Rosemary, and let's jump right into the call. Father, we, we come to you and we're so grateful that you've given us the plan for success in the nations. And as we prepare for the coming reign of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the righteous remnant that will not be silent, that continually uphold the banner of your name and your miracle power in all the earth. And we thank you, Father, for for their courage and their boldness, which you have so anointed them for. Protect them and bless them now in the coming days. And we look forward to your soon return. We thank you for this time as we pray for the nations to come to you. In the name of Jesus, we ask you, Father. Amen. Amen. Now, if you had your eyes open, as I did during that prayer, you're going to find out we had a little problem with our blurred background is making my wife disappear and appear. Uh, she's really here. We'll have to work on that. You have that. to hold very still, honey. Oh, oh it's me. Yeah. <laughs> Don't move. I'm the problem, folks. Don't move me. <laughs> okay. All right. There we go. Well, we're going to jump right into it. Pastor Mike McClure, Calvary Chapel, San Jose. We are so honored to have you. Tell us, uh, well, first of all, just give us just a quick quote overview how long you've been at that church as pastor and then who pastored it before. And then I want you to take us right into what happened as COVID hit. Well, thanks for having me on, Jim and, and Rosemary. Wonderful just to, to be a part of your guys' prayer team. I know that's what uh, that's what we need is going to change the world. Prayer. Prayer. I'm all about prayer. A uh, little history for, for me is I'm a pastor's kid. My dad uh, pastored a church in Southern California, Calvary Chapel Redlands. He um, been in the ministry a long time, and he came and took over this church. He loved to plant churches, start Bible colleges, things like that. I came up in high school. And uh, I did not want to go in the ministry. I thought I'll just help him out. And uh, I got a tech job in the Valley here. We live in the Silicon Valley. And I did that until I was 27. And it was like the Lord just came in my cubicle and asked me like, Elijah in the cave, what are you doing here? And I, real I realized I, I need to serve him. And so I started praying about it. And uh, I finally knew that I'm supposed to come and help my dad. So I came in 2001 and uh, he left in 2002. And so I've been... I was the interim for like about six months because uh, I was just uh, a terrible, I was a terrible uh, speaker in, in everything, actually. Uh, I needed so much help. And he also gave me a big job. I mean, the church here had uh, a lot of financial debt and uh, just a difficult situation. But, you know, he knew I could do it. He prayed and, and the, the board at the time um, really wanted me to stay. And so it's like Spurgeon. He says it's not a great preachers that make great congregations, but it's great congregations that make great preachers. So I'm really a result of a, a great praying congregation, but I've been here since. Uh, uh, by the way, I've heard you speak and I, I'm really stunned that you said that because you are exceptional. <laughs> I've heard you and you're very, you're poised and you're content rich. I'm going to stop right there. But man, uh, uh, if you weren't a good speaker before, you sure come a long way. Hold my attention. <laughs> That, that, that's a, that's a miracle, a great, the grace of God. Cause uh, I actually, my dad said to me, I need to take a speech class. So I did, I took one and um, with another pastor on staff who he did say, by the way, uh, his, pa his, his grandfather pastored Moody Bible Institute for like 10 years, Alan Redpath. So Craig and I are good friends. He's been a missionary uh, in Africa for several years, but he and I took this class together. And my dad had told him, said, you know, Craig, you, you have a lot to say. You learn how to say it. Uh, and he looked at me and said, you just need to say something, you know, so that was his advice to me, you know, those things you remember from your father. But um, anyway, that's been, I, you know, my history last 20 years, I've really been here serving at this church. We've gone through, you know, just a number of different phases as far as our debt. We paid that off. 
we have uh, just a lot of things God's done. And uh, one thing is we, we really got the church to where we, we modeled it and we started everyone just going through the Bible. I think it's so important. Everyone knows their Bible. And it seems like though I teach through the Bible, it takes like seven years. What we did is a two-year Bible reading program. And uh, I came out of, you know, the uh, Pastor Chuck Smith with Haley's Bible Handbook. If you read that, he, he came upon this page. It was at the end of the book where he said the most important thing is for every church congregation to read the Bible and then the preacher to teach on the section that they'd read that week. So we started that literally before COVID and everyone was literally on the same page in the church when, when it hit. And so all the things that took place, I think just as a result of just the Lord preparing us for a season that we've been in. And as, as I look back, I can honestly say I had nothing to do with it. I just walked, you know, I, I just was walking where the Lord said to walk and he, he's done all the work and it's been um, 20 years in the making. So it's a little history. Well, so tell us what happened when COVID hit and what brings you onto this interview today? Well, when COVID hit, we, um, like everyone, you know, you shut down for two weeks then we started doing uh, Zoom, you know, uh, online, and then we went outside. We just started having people meet outside, and they met in the cars, and it just seemed like it wasn't what they said it was going to be, and we started to recognize something fishy's going on, but I, I think what, what really we saw is the need for people to get together, and so we uh, opened up with a lot of, you know, your, like your church and others. I think it was uh, um, Church United or Jack Hibbs and others that said, let's open up on Pentecost Sunday, uh, so we did that. And since we did that, other churches wanted to and were renting. They couldn't. So we took them in. And uh, it was a kind of a process of, uh, I think, um, other churches that joined us. They had gotten attention from the county. And so they decided, since we had about five churches renting from us, all meeting on Sunday, that uh, they uh, would go after us. And they started fining us. And then they gave us a restraining order, which we violated. And so they took us to court. So I've been there, I think it was like three days and uh, for two different violations, and they fined us. I, you know, Bob and Mariah can tell you what the exact numbers were. I think it was like $30,000, $40,000 first, and then it was like a hundred, and then they find the church. So we're in court and, and you know, having to explain why we're having church services. Meanwhile, uh, people are getting saved. I mean, in the last year we've had, I think almost 700 baptisms uh, in the church. And uh, we've had so many people that just walk in and so I, you know, in the courtroom, uh, I didn't want to take the witness stand. And, uh, uh, you know, I was reading in Hebrews 10 and the real reason we opened, I was telling the judge in court is because of the scripture, you know, tells us not to forsake the gathering together, the assembling together of ourselves as the manner of some in that verse in, in Hebrews 10, 25, that word manner can also be translated law or mandate. And so the idea in the context was, you know, the Jews going back to Judaism you know, when they had come to Christ. And so, you know, they were not to stop meeting and how much more, you know, the author says, as we see the day approaching. So what we realize is we have to meet, you know, it's biblical that we meet and, and how much more that we see all, all the end time events happening around us today. People are in perilous times, you know, and, and uh, like Paul says in second Timothy three, that the last days there's going to be perilous times. Men are going to be lovers of themselves. Like this is, we see this every day and the, the pressure, the anxiety level for people is just really high. So I said, this is what the Bible says. This is what a pastor, Bob had asked me, you know, what a, what a pastor does. And I just described that, you know, we need to be in person and that all the hospitals in America were started by the church. So if you're going to close, you know, the churches, you should really close the hospitals too. And, and I also said that we care more about health. You know, I believe the church cares more about people's health than than the health departments do. Uh, in our particular case, our health department uh, didn't answer their suicide hotline for the month of October. And the reason we know that at that, that time is because one of the, uh, the call-in guys that answered the phone got saved and came to our church. And he himself was even suicidal. He was really depressed, came to the church, received Christ. And so he gave us all that information that they weren't even answering the phone. So they act like they care about health, but I just said they, they didn't for that month. And, and so our job as a church is to do what God's word says. And then, you know, the second reason I gave them is, well, we, we, as we gather, you know, we, we really do see God working in people's lives. We see the fruit of that. And I can't stop now that I see the fruit. We'd had the district attorney call and say, you can't meet. 
And, and I told him like a little analogy of a little kid running across the street and a semi coming. And I said, that's how I look at this. You're telling me I can't go help that kid and he's going to get hit by a truck. And the district attorney's assistant said to me, he says, you know, I agree with you. Uh, I don't agree with these orders, but I just have to tell you what they are. I actually don't disagree. And so we, had, you know, we talked to the sheriff and we had sheriffs in the church and the police and we'd asked, you know, what they were going to do. And we just recognized when they came to church themselves that things were going to be okay. You know, so I think the, 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 the fruit and, and the work that God's been doing in people's lives was just really important. So we couldn't stop, even though the judge says, can't you just do this for a little while? And my response was, well, no, you know, I can't. And you know, th these reasons are, are, are really something that I think every pastor uh, would agree with, that this is what God's word says. This is the fruit that we see that's happening. And, and this is just something I know that before the Lord, I'm in trouble. You know, I'm in trouble if I don't do it, because this is a pastor's role. This is something that, that we have to do as a shepherd, you know, to, to, to feed the flock. And maybe not every pastor agrees with that. And my intent though, I let them know, I'm not trying to challenge these orders, so, so to speak, or, or go against you, but I am going to do what I know the ultimate order is. And you're making me choose between God and man. So we kept meeting. Um, they, they kept, uh, well, they, they fined us up to, I think it was $3.8 million. And uh, they, know, they somehow lowered it down to 2.8, but they'd show up every day. And they'd give us five thousand dollars when when we were on the first uh, Zoom call um, with fine, Bob and uh, what's that? They gave you a five thousand dollar fine. They didn't give you five thousand dollars. Oh yes, thank you. <laughs> that was, we, we wish. You were hoping they would give us five thousand dollars, but they didn't know. They gave us <laughs> the fine every day, so they'd show up, and it would be for anything. I mean, it could be five hundred to Bob Assam in court, and I didn't know what the rules were, but they could pick any amount, and they'd always pick the five thousand dollars. Well, we would. You know, we would do what we could to we give them donuts and coffee and, and share the gospel with them, all these that were coming from the county. But I, I think the goal for the church was we just want to to worship the Lord. And we're not here to, to try to, you know, make a big spectacle and cause problems. But the end of it was people's lives were being changed. And so we kept getting fines. They kept telling us not to meet. And uh, it just kind of has grown. It hasn't really gone very far in the courts, it seems like. And Bob and Mariah can tell you. But we've been... Uh, every day, just glad to have the doors open and to see that God's continuing to work. And, you know, all of this is like the First Amendment. When I had asked the judge after Bob and Mariah and the prosecuting attorneys were all talking the first time I'm in court, you know, as a, as a layman, I just listened to them talk about all the case studies that have gone on in the history and myself thinking, do we have a First Amendment? And so when I first uh, asked the judge a question, it was, do we have a First Amendment? Because I started to think we don't because of case studies. But I, I really believe that's something that we need to stand for, you know, as pastors, just go back. And we've been given this amazing gift in this First Amendment. Like our founding fathers, 27 of them were pastors just like us. And they knew what was going to come because they knew the heart of man. And our job is to stand on the things that we have been handed as this baton is, if you will, to keep it for the next generation. And so our, our goal isn't to fight against the county, but it's really to proclaim the gospel. But those are those things are, are coming to a head right now, and I think that they're going to continue because they're not, they're, they're, you know, they're not wanting to be our friend. They're not wanting to help us or or see the value of the church like the previous mayors have and the previous seems like county workers that I've known in the past or supervisors have been very open to the church, the pastors. They recognize pastors as leaders in the community. We're now, uh, you know, in our area and the Bay Area, it seems like pastors are now. Um, you know, they're almost seen as terrorists, like they call us domestic terrorists. And, and it's sad to see, uh, you know, but at the same time, I see what God is doing in people's lives. So that's a little year and a half in a nutshell. And we're sure. still in court. There have been a number of churches that have faced what you face, but I don't know of any church that faces fines, if I'm not mistaken, of $2.8 million. If, am I correct on my figure? $2.8 million? Uh, I'm not I'm sorry it's 2.87 million but a point to add about the fines is they were originally 4.3 million but the the county decided to reduce them to 2.87 million okay, we're going to go to the attorneys right now but I just as I as I shift to them and, and, and Pastor Mike you jump back in any point you want to I just praise God for you thank you for being willing to stand the way you have um there are a lot of pastors in America. 
there are not enough pastors willing to stand the way that you are. So thank you for that. And uh, I'm sure you have many people give accolades and you have many people who criticize you for standing. But let me just tell you that, that as, as culture drive, grinds on in history, the people who stood the way you're standing are going to be the heroes that will be talked about in the history books of tomorrow. So thank you for being one of the heroes who stood during this time. I'm going to go to your attorneys. Uh, Bob Tyler, who I introduced a moment ago, has stood for religious liberty for the longest time. I want him to it, just take one sentence, if you can, or two sentences, Bob, and tell about the organization you had, that you lead, you founded, and give people the website, because I want them to be able to go to your website, learn about you, support you, encourage you anyway. And then Mariah, I only met Mariah just about a month ago. And uh, between the two of them, they just got an incredible story to tell about Calvary Chapel, San Jose. So I'll turn it to Bob and Mariah. Give us the rest of the story. Sure. Thanks, uh, Pastor Jim. We are Advocates for Faith and Freedom. Uh, we have a ministry that we started back in 2005. And uh, listen to what our original underlying um, mission is. It is to defend the First Amendment right to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is, when, when we came up with that, and, and, and I really felt that that was what the Lord was calling me to when launching this ministry, defending the First Amendment right to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, nothing else really matters. It's not about patriotism. It's not about the red, white, and blue. It's not about Republicans, Democrats, or any other, any other party. What it is, is about our responsibility as Christians to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in, in the long history that we've been, you know, taking on religious liberty cases, there was never a day until March of 2020 that it really came down to the actual prohibiting persons to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to, to prohibit churches from being open. And, and it was kind of for a time as this, you know, there are a lot of organizations who really didn't want to touch COVID. And uh, we were, we were, when I say organizations, I mean, legal organizations. And, and we sat back and we, uh, as Mike referenced earlier, we helped launch the Declaration of Essentiality with Pastor Jack Hibbs and, and others, Rob McCoy and uh, Jim Doman and Church United, and of course, Mike McClure. And we said, we will defend pastors. When I was on CNN and, and I was questioned, well, what are you going to do if the governor says no? I said, we're not asking for permission. And the reason why is because pastors like Mike, and Mike was a huge inspiration to this, we filed a lawsuit on behalf of uh, Pastor Mike in Calvary Chapel, San Jose, in approximately May of 2020. You know, this has been going on now for two years, over two years. Um, and so when we filed the lawsuit for Pastor Mike, we did so arguing that we have a constitutional right to gather. And, and it, this wasn't about the necessarily the desire to have a pastor stand up in a pulpit just to speak to people, but the church needed to meet the needs. There were, there were you know, so many people dying from suicide, drug abuse. Uh, one of the things Pastor Mike had talked about in his case was the fact that uh, they they had these organ they had uh, recovery ministries and dozens and dozens of people that were coming together during the week they had, they had meetings every night and people were coming to the Lord but then that all had to stop and they said we can't stop we have to continue we have to resume what we're doing I've heard from pastors who would run into their congregants in the grocery store and the congregant broke down in tears because they were alone and and this one, this one gentleman's wife passed away a few weeks prior, and they were so lonely. And, and so there was so much going on in this era, and there was such an incredible need for the churches and the pastors to resume their ministry. And so many pastors started, and we did so, and we didn't ask for permission because we believed that this is what God is requiring of us, just like the second chapter of Acts you know, get out of here, leave, leave town, don't spread the gospel. We had to do that. The pastors and the ministries had to reopen. So uh, we are so honored to represent Mike and so many other pastors. Uh, we, we've taken on cases uh, to defend the right to sing in church during COVID. 
We represented three churches. We filed a lawsuit there. Um, and, and in of about seven lawsuits that we, we have had against the state of California and various municipalities with regard to the COVID lockdowns, uh, four of them have settled with us. They've, they've resolved and they said, okay, you guys were right. We were wrong. We have, we have one uh, pending with Pastor Mike. I'll let Mariah talk a little bit more about where we stand today in that case. We have another lawsuit uh, with Pastor Rob McCoy that we're on appeal. And we have uh, another case, which is a small little church in, um, uh, it, that, that's located in La Habra Heights, city of La Habra Heights, California, little town. And they did everything to comply with the governmental regulations. They complied with the masking, the distancing, meeting outside, everything that they were told to do, but only to be told by the city that they were going to find them because they're noise, they, were, they were too loud in their singing uh, or, or a whole variety of different things that in reality, they even had measuring uh, uh, devices to be able to test and show that they were within sound limits and sound ordinances. There was so much that has gone on through this period of time with so many churches. Uh, we're just honored to be able to really feel like we're doing what God called us to do from the very beginning, and that is to protect our right to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask then uh, one of you, maybe this Mariah, if you're the one that's one asking been in court, I'm not sure which one of you or both of you, give us a chronology uh, in layman's language, not legalese, but in layman's language, and in a, a concise chronology, tell us where this case has gone mm -hmm. and where it is now, and to the extent that you can project what are we facing in the future to see Pastor Mike and his congregation fully vindicated. Would you like me, or do you want to do it? Uh, why don't you start out back, go, go back to when uh, we were in sure. court defending Pastor Mike from the injunction. Sure. Okay. Well, well, first off, we in, in May of, of 2020, right at the onset of the pandemic, we had filed a lawsuit on behalf of Mike McClure, um, seeking to vindicate his First Amendment rights and his right to gather and worship. And then around August and September of 2020, the county uh, started, Santa Clara County, that is, started fining Pastor Mike McClure um, every day for um, not adhering to their unconstitutional COVID-19 restrictions in regards to mask mandates and gathering restrictions. This was and every day, not, not just every Sunday, but every it day. Was every week. Sunday. So they had a separate fine that they would find weekly on Sundays. And then every day they would also find, find the church. For were, there, were there church services taking place on a daily basis or was that just the fact they, that no, the church was open? No, it was just the fact that they wouldn't agree they wouldn't agree to follow all of the, the COVID-19 orders under the county. Can I add something real quick? Uh, one of the things to point out is the code enforcement officers would show up at the church every day and they would come and they would inspect. And they came to realize that uh, Calvary uh, used to have, well, I, I presume we still do my, uh, a prayer gathering in a prayer room off of the sanctuary lobby, a large one is probably 20 by 15 square feet, uh, maybe 30 by 15 square feet, a large room. And you could easily probably, you could fit 30 people sitting side by side to pray. They didn't. They would have anywhere from three to up to max 10 people in that room praying every night. But, but guess who showed up every night? Code enforcement officers. They would open, open the door to, to look inside to see if they were meeting, if they were gathering, and whether they were wearing masks while they were praying. And this was astonishing. And, and we witnessed it ourselves as we uh, were there. And um, this, is, this would occur on a daily basis. Go ahead, Mike. Boy, Mike, you're, you're a real troublemaker. You, you're the <laughs> Apostle Paul. <laughs> yeah, that that is actually funny you say that because I when I think of the Apostle Paul, I feel like that's what Mike or that Mike would look like the Apostle Paul. I just see him as a, the 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 modern day Apostle Paul. There we go. <laughs> so around October, the county realized that Mike McClure and the church were not going to follow all of their orders, and so they filed a lawsuit. 
and then right away they filed a temporary restraining order. And as Mike said, he violated the temporary restraining order. But around October, as many of you guys know, the Supreme Court hadn't ruled in the, in the uh, seminal case called Brooklyn Diocese. And so this was before Amy Coney Barrett. So at this time, there was no decisive ruling that what the, what the um, government was doing was unlawful. And so they sought a TRO, Mike, Mike violated it, and then they sought to hold him in contempt, um, issuing you know, $55,000 in fines and sanctions against Mike, against the church and Mike personally. So around the contempt hearing though, the, the, the Supreme Court rendered their seminal verdict in, in Brooklyn Diocese, the, the New York case, where they said that the, during a pandemic, the constitution cannot be put away and they, they held on con constitutional, the ban on indoor gatherings. We had asked the judge for, to continue the contempt hearing in light of that decision. We said, this, this case is you know, dispositive. It's going to you know, affect, um, it, it vindicates Pastor Mike. In clear defiance of that order, the judge said it has no impact on this case. Held Mike in contempt of court and issued $55,000 in fines and sanctions. And then after that, the Supreme Court five times has admonished California specifically for their unconstitutional COVID-19 orders. Fast forward to, to January of 2021, Mike McClure still in, in adherence to what the Supreme Court had just said, continued to have indoor gatherings. The county sought to hold him in contempt of court another time, and this time personally hold him and assistant pastor Carson Atherley in contempt of court. And Carson at the time was only 22 years old and had a newborn baby. And while we were defending Pastor Mike and Carson Atherley in, in contempt proceedings. Now tell us once again, Carson is who? Carson Atherley, he, is the, he was the assistant pastor at Calvary Chapel, San Jose. Okay, okay. And he's only is, 20 is there some particular reason why there, you have other pastors on staff? Is there a reason why they targeted just him? It was because he was the one who interacted with the code enforcement officers, officers all the time and, and who was working very closely with pa Pastor Mike McClure in the county. Okay. And so I think they just had um, a somewhat of a relationship with him. And, and then during, so during January, where we were trying to defend Pastor Mike in contempt proceedings, Santa Clara County, by way of James Williams, sent threatening letters to the church's bank. Um, these letters, you know, informed the church's bank that Pastor Mike McClure and the church had been fined and sanctioned and, you know, and fined millions of dollars by the county, but conveniently neglected to mention that the church was, was fighting the fines and challenging. Well, you're, 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 you're blowing me away. They contacted the bank. Of the yes. church. Yes. Okay, I'm going to ask a most naive question as a layperson. Is that legal? Let, let me address that real quick. The, the, the letter was, there's nothing illegal necessarily about them sending a letter to the bank. But the, the real import behind it is why did they do it? Mm -hmm. And what did they say? And the intent behind it, it appears, as we allege, yes. is that... Uh, that the uh, uh, county's attorney, Williams, was basically trying to coerce and, and get leverage and gain leverage over the church in this litigation by arguing and trying to make it appear that the county's fines would take priority over the bank's lien. So the bank's in first position, but they tried to say, look, bank, here, this church that you have is violating these ordinances, and now we're at two point some odd million dollars, and these fines have been issued. And so, you know, in the face of that, Pastor Mike uh, still said, well, we're going to continue to do what God's done, what God requires of us, and we'll do it without this building. We don't need this building to do now, it. Mr. Attorney, have you, do you know of other cases where in process, it's not like the court has decided that finally, this is an ongoing process with appeals and such, where the government has notified somebody's bank that we're coming yeah. after this. We're in a, is that, have you heard of this? Is that, is that normal? And I just missed it. 
I've never seen it happen before. I've never seen that kind of arrogance. And that's uh, one of the parts that we're arguing in this case. Mm -hmm. We are alleging that that was a clear intention to interfere with relationships and actually create, uh, you know, using this onerous retaliation yeah. against the church for exercising their First Amendment rights. And that's really what it is. It's retaliation. Now, the judge is not allowing in here. I don't know what the legal definition of extortion is, but that would seem like from a layman's standpoint, come perilously close to that. For yeah, you to it, do that kind of retaliation or what I would call almost extortion. That's that's yeah. really shocking. It, it's retaliation in order to try to coerce a settlement, in order to try to coerce the church effectively. And this is what our argument is. Retaliation to try to coerce the, the church to give up mm -hmm. its constitutional rights. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and those constitutional rights are, are being battled right now. I want to say one thing about Pastor Mike. In the midst of all of this, in the midst of the possibility of jail time, uh, we as lawyers um, did what we were, what we're supposed to do. Tell Mike, you're, what you're doing is unlawful according to the law. You can be fined, you can be sanctioned, and you can be put in jail. And for, for everything with everything that we saw, I had a, a, a real belief that in that second contempt hearing, there was a real strong possibility that Mike was gonna wind up in jail. And <clears throat> at the end of it, uh, the judge didn't wanna put Mike in jail. And what was amazing was in that second hearing when questioning Mike about why he was doing what he was doing. You see the first contempt hearing, we didn't get a trial even though, and, and that's the basis of appeal. We have four or five cases ongoing out of this one case right now. But they wouldn't allow us the right to cross-examine our accusers, to bring in the county officials who assert the, uh, the, the basis for the shutdowns, et cetera, so much more. But in that second uh, contempt trial, which lasted, it was basically over three weeks, multiple days, there was one occasion where I basically asked Mike, what, why are you doing this? And Mike had the opportunity in court to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to, to speak about why he is a pastor and what this is all about. And it was, it was just amazing. I mean, I almost came to tears sitting there in court as the lawyer, listening to him because this was such an epic moment in American history, frankly. It was it was an epic time. And here is the pastor in America. Now, you know, there are some other pastors going through similar things in other countries, uh, but it's uh, it's here. It's America. It, it's it should it should be a wake up call to us. Mm -hmm. Bob, but, I never had a problem with high blood pressure, but I am right now because you have not only told me about and, and, and Pastor Mike, you look so calm in all this, uh, but this is really disturbing me. You know, the, the, the bizarre nature of what we've just heard here, contacting your bank, but the fact that you never got a chance on the first contempt to actually face the accusers and question them, why did you not get that opportunity? I, I guess it's a question for the attorneys, I suppose. Uh, why did he not, why was he not given his day in court that first round? So I want to add that he wasn't just, you know, denied the right to cross-examine, but also to call his own witnesses and present his defense. And we actually had Mike McClure ready in addition to expert, our expert witnesses who were ready to testify. But the judge felt like the, the, the matter needed to be decided purely on paper. That was, and, and really he had an urge to just get the, the, the case resolved immediately because he saw the church as um, an, an imminent threat. Well, this a, what level of court are, or have you gone up levels of court and appeals or what level where we started this and where well, is this, this? Was, this was at the superior court which is the lower the lowest court in, in, in the state um, court system and then now we're at the, the sixth appellate district and we are actually going to be arguing these appeals in the middle of, of July. We also have what's interesting here you should know is that when uh, we filed a federal lawsuit initially and then the state the county came and filed a lawsuit in state court to try to get an injunction against Pastor Mike. We went to the federal judge and said, 
federal court, you have jurisdiction over this. Please take jurisdiction and, and issue a stay to prevent the state court from going forward. That was denied to us. And then, uh, so then we are litigating in, in two parallel paths, one in federal court, one in state court. And in state court, uh, yes, the, the, the judge denied Pastor Mike and Calvary Chapel San Jose the right to confront their accusers and to present our own testimony to defend against this quasi, it's called a quasi-criminal proceeding because he could have been put in jail. But the judge wasn't going to put him in jail. So apparently the judge thought, well, I don't need to give, you know, we don't have to have him testify. We also, we subpoenaed the county health official and, and we wanted them there. They wouldn't, they wouldn't present them. Come to the second contempt hearing, it was this time the judge realized, see, we had appealed after the judge denied our, uh, denied our right to cross-examine in that first contempt hearing. We then filed, uh, it's called an interlocutory appeal uh, of that denial, of that decision. So that went up to the court of appeal. Then we got to the second contempt hearing. And then in that hearing, again, uh, the judge would not allow us to cross-examine uh, certain officials that we believed were necessary. We wanted to cross-examine the county health official who made the decisions to do the shutdowns and the judge wouldn't let us. Mm -hmm. uh, we cross-examined the code enforcement officers, but we couldn't cross-examine mm -hmm. the uh, county health official. And when that was denied, we then appealed that case. Mm -hmm. so, so that's our second appeal to the sixth uh, district in California. So two, two matters in the court of appeal and state court. We also have the superior court matter. We also at the time had ongoing and another administrative hearing uh, that was going through the county. We also um, had, I, I don't remember exactly at, at what point in time this came in, but OSHA came in and, and we believe it was the county who, who called OSHA to come in and do an investigation. All at the same time, we have a federal court case ongoing as well, litigating this. And I think this is a good point to, uh, for Mariah to step in and, and share in our latest hearing in front of the federal court, which frankly is the most important, mm -hmm. what the federal judge said. Yes, so in March of, of this year, <laughs> of the, we had a hearing on the county's attempt to dismiss our, our federal lawsuit. At the, the, their attempts were denied. The case is going forward against the county. But at the end of the hearing, it was actually um, really, really shocking, but also very encouraging. The judge urged Santa Clara County to settle the case, um, told the county the case had mushroomed out of control and said, this is not the hill you want to die on. Whoa, 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 take a, take a moment there. I'm, yeah. I'm, it's good news and I, I'm ready to clap for this now. Uh, <laughs> we're ready for this. Uh, expand that just a little bit. I want more details. And, and I want the judge groveling on the floor, apologizing to Pastor Mike. Okay, didn't go there. Okay. Hey, but, but listen, this is the, the judge who said this was the federal court judge. Uh, and, and this is a judge in, in the Northern District of California. So this is the San Francisco, San Jose area. All right. Now, Let's let's put a few other things in context for those outside California who don't really know the area. This is uh, Pastor Mike is in San Jose, Calvary Chapel, San Jose. San Jose is the center of Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley, with all of the major tech giants who gained some three point five trillion dollars, I think it is, in net worth because of covid. This is the giants. These are the globalists, uh, which incorporates, I believe, the county council in who's behind this whole case. And you have uh, the powers of California and really uh, that these globalists from around the country that Mike is in the center of. I've said many times it's the belly of the beast. And this is the county. Let's not forget. It was the first county in the entire country to issue stay-at-home orders. In other words, stay home, shut down, lock yourselves down, don't leave your house. And then three to four days later, the state of California followed and then followed the nation. This was the county council, the lawyer who claims 
in an, in an article that this was his, this was his brainchild. The shutdown orders was his brainchild. So here Mike is standing up his church in the belly of the beast against the man who claims to have been the, been created the architect of the shutdowns. So you can imagine really what we're up against here. And so now we're in federal court in the Northern District, which is generally known as being extremely liberal and hostile toward our causes in general. Well, this judge, it is in, it, she's incredibly encouraging because here she is. She stood up and, and aggressively, in a sense, said, counsel, I would encourage you. And she didn't just say, go try to settle this case. She said, I would encourage you to get to a settlement judge as soon as you can. And you try to settle this case. Mm -hmm. Did she yeah. use language like, uh, or were you being speaking euphemistically, this is not a hill you want to die on? Or was that just your sort of caricature of the case? No, that those were her words specifically. Oh. And, and they're oh, even you know, quoted in the Mercury News. I mean, those were verbatim. This is not the hill you want to die on. Wow. Makes me think you're up against Fauci before Fauci. You're up against Klaus yeah. Schwab 2.0 or 1.0, actually. And uh, it reminds me of a story called David versus Goliath. You might remember how that one goes. <laughs> right. but, uh, I'm eager to hear the rest of the story. You brought me some good news here. And we, we all know the San Francisco Bay Area. That's where my wife is from. Uh, that's, the, that's the buckle of the Bible belt. We all know it's, it's conservative values, not. So this is encouraging that a judge in that area uh, use that kind of language. Somebody is starting to think right. That, that's encouraging. Now yeah. I hope that I hope the story is that encouraging going on because I'm 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 cheering and clapping right now. But take me from there to the to the present tense. So where we're at now is we have a settlement conference on on May seventeenth. But what's coming also from, coming from that statement of that judge? Yep, we have a settlement conference for May seventeenth. Wow. But very, what's very interesting is a week and a half ago. The county, even though they're aware that I am and, and we are preparing for the settlement conference, filed a motion to stay the entire federal court action, pending, pending the outcome in the state court case and even citing how us keeping James Williams in the case was, was harassment. And the reason why I mentioned that is, is because they know that we're preparing for this settlement conference and they also know that the judge wants this case to be settled. So for them to do that, it was quite um, it was quite harassing because now I only have 14 days to respond to that motion to stay. But regardless well, of- me, they're saying, I wanna make sure, uh, you're, when you talk about a stay, you're talking about stopping. So like they, want, stop they, the federal court they want to stop the federal and pull mm -hmm. it back to the state. Yes. So they don't have to meet you in settlement court. Well, well we're still gonna have the settlement conference but basically, they're doing that, I believe, in case that they, in case the case doesn't settle, that they could that that we halt everything in federal court, in, including discovery and everything. And obviously, we're going to oppose that. We're going to oppose that right away because if this case doesn't settle, the next step is filing dispositive motions, um, a motion for for summary judgment, um, which we believe we're going to prevail on. We're going to prevail under the First Amendment, but also I believe we're going to prevail under the Eighth Amendment because the fines are excessive. They haven't been able to trace in discovery uh, any what not one COVID nineteen case to this church, and yet they want to collect two point eight seven million dollars. Rewind that. Repeat. Say that one more time. That's too important. Explain also what the, the county. Let me explain this first. That you know the county keeps track of where COVID nineteen cases arise mm -hmm. from, right? Mm -hmm. So so they created the state of California went out and. I guess they hired thousands of people to be tracers, right? Contact tracers. And yeah. so, so they have these extensive ways to track where people uh, contracted COVID-19. And let's not forget that if you saw recently, and we actually put something out on our, on our um, email blast, which by the way, you asked me to give you that www.faith-freedom.com, faith-freedom faith-freedom.com. It's Advocates for Faith and Freedom. You look us up and, and in one of our recent posts that we, we sent out, we sent out about once a week, we showed how the CDC was tracking when people went to church. They tracked when people visited their neighbors based upon cell phones. And so 
the reality of it is they have this great contract contact tracing and through discovery uh, we've discovered that the reality is is that they were not able to trace one covid case back to calvary chapel san jose amazing. in spite of the fact that the church has been meeting all of this time mm -hmm. amazing there's something yeah. else i think that uh that is really important and uh that is is that this case is still ongoing that means that we want to get discovered we want to take the deposition of the county health officer we want to take the deposition of the county council who launched this whole concept of covid lockdowns we want to know frankly we want to know who's behind all of this was big tech involved in this uh were that were they involved are there any documents that there's communications between big tech and um, the county council and, and others as it relates to Calvary Chapel San Jose in particular. There's, there's a lot of discovery yet to be had that we're hoping to be able to uncover mm -hmm. and find because you know this whole concept of these lockdowns, if it started here, mm -hmm. then hopefully you know through Pastor Mike's and Calvary Chapel San Jose's courage, we're going to be able to stand up and protect our right to be able to continue spreading the gospel in the future. And one of the things that I've, I really believe is that, you know, our first amendment is only as strong as the perseverance of those willing to defend it. People like pastor Mike and his church, if they can persevere, then we can defend the first amendment. But when we give up and walk away, yeah, yeah and just bow and kowtow to the orders and say, okay, well, we'll follow and we'll do everything you say. You know, we're not gonna be able to protect our first amendment. Mm -hmm. Boy, when you take on big tech in this, you're now, you're now poking the bear. Uh, that's pretty gutsy, that's pretty courageous. And I applaud you, somebody's got to do it. And, and thank you for doing that. So just to reframe it here, May 17th, that's just, mm -hmm. man, that's just this week, next week here. So May 17th is the settlement conference mm -hmm. and, the, and the, the, the county is saying, oh, just stop that. Let's ignore that and keep our state court one ongoing. But you're going to prevail, you think, and that settlement conference will take place, you believe. The settlement conference will take place. But if the case doesn't settle, we believe the court is not going to stay the federal court case. Yeah. Or we're going to, um, we, are, we are happy to take this case to trial and go all the way because not only do we have the First Amendment on our side now, we now have the evidence on our side. So regardless uh, of what happens on May 17th, we feel very good about taking this case to trial. Is, is there more evidence you can refer to other than the fact there wasn't a single COVID case that came out of the church for starters, but is there other things that you can say about that? I think that the key, the key evidence here is, um, you know, throughout the pandemic, that Santa Clara County, as well as state officials, were, were, were referencing churches as super spreader events, right? Yeah. But we had evidence that the, the entities and activities that were deemed essential and that were also subject to, you know, less stringent um, restrictions actually contributed to more COVID-19 cases than churches. So that in and of itself, and the fact that um, my, they haven't traced it, one COVID-19 case to the church is, is in my opinion, enough to win this case. Let me add some more evidence to it that, that's gonna fire you up. So uh, in the beginning of this uh, lawsuit, uh, the county allowed card rooms uh, to be open. And we had pictures of these card rooms where people would be sitting and sitting around tables, playing cards, gambling. That was okay for them to, to meet and be open. And when the shutdowns occurred, we have also besides Pastor Mike, we also have another pastor named Micaiah Ermler. And, and Pastor Micaiah had a small church. They didn't own a building. They, didn't, they, they were renting from another church facility. When the lockdowns happened, the church that they were renting uh, in the afternoons would not let them meet. So they found out that, well, why don't, why don't we do a drive-in service? You know, 
uh, people can sit in their cars and we're gonna go to the drive-in movie theater because the drive-in movie theater was operating at the time. And as the drive-in movie theater was operating, they figured, well, we could do the same. So instead of having a movie playing, the cars would pull up in the drive-in theater, a church of about 100 to 150 people. So, you know, you, you don't have that many cars out there uh, like you would in a normal drive-in. But since at that time, the county was allowing drive-in theaters to remain open. So Pastor Micaiah went and he uh, did a church service on Sunday morning. And they had a worship band up front and Pastor Micaiah would preach and the people would sit in their cars. And the first week, I believe it was okay. Second week, once the county got wind of this, they came out and they shut it down and said, you can't be doing this. We sent a, a, a threatening letter off to the county right away and said, wait a minute, you can't tell the church that they can't meet and do worship services if they're allowed to come and sit and watch a movie. This is ridiculous. There's no, no rationale for that. The other thing is that, well, what happened is the second, the third week comes along. And when they said, all right, well, you cannot have cars sitting still. <laughs> so Pastor Micaiah said, okay, we're just going to have the cars drive real slowly around the parking lot. And, and, and we're going to conduct church services at the same time. And so they did that. And anyways, what ended up happening, uh, the county shut all that down, said movie theaters can't meet, no drive-in style church services. And so at that point in time, uh, uh, Pastor Mike and Micaiah Ermler connected and Pastor Mike let uh, Micaiah Ermler's church to come in the, uh, in the afternoons at his church to meet. As you're listening to this, Pastor Mike, what? is going through your mind. And again, your attorney can stop you at any point he needs to, because I respect the reason you do that. You know, I think about David, you know, in the Valley of Elah, running out and facing Goliath and, you know, all the other soldiers. And I, I, I know I'd be probably no different than the rest of the Israeli army. You know, sometimes we think of ourselves as like, oh, we're all gonna be like David. But I think of David is more like a picture of Christ that he goes out and he has the ability to see and do things that we, we just can't see, we can't do. And so I, I have seen all the things and following him, you know, and, and taking on Goliath. And, you know, with respects to what Bob and Mariah and their team are going through, I just think of uh, Daniel 725 has been something I've seen in our area for years, you know, as goes kind of the Bay Area, then goes Hollywood, then goes Washington, D.C., you know. And it's the enemy trying to tear down the words of the most high. That's what the beast constantly tries to do is to keep God's word from getting out and then to wear out the saints of the most high. And I think like to Mariah's point, you know, how they put a stay recently and it's all about wearing you out. Who's going to, who can stand the longest, you know, is who, who can keep paying, who can, who can do this and who's going to finally give in. And I think that's where we as Christians, and I just knew from the beginning, I, I, I had a, a, a scholarship in college for long distance running, and I hated running. <laughs> I did not like it, but I, I, uh, I took it, and I just remember, like, why am I doing this? You know, I'm eating five meals a day, and you're, you don't have a team, and you're all alone. And I look back, and like all of our lives, you know, we recognize God is preparing us to do the things he has us to do, and he's going to meet us there. You know, he's going to meet us there. I remember, you know, when Bob said, do you want to testify? And I said, well, I don't know. I don't want to mess it up. He says, well, you could. You could definitely do that. But you can also, you know, an opportunity to, to share really what's on your heart. And I, and I think what, what really has been on my heart in all this is just, just the heart of God for his people. And not just for his people in the church, per se. But I think of, you know, when Paul was in Corinth and there's that debate, that theological debate, like did... Did Paul, you know, was there people already Christians there when he goes to, to Corinth or the Lord said, you know, I have many people in the city. Was there not yet people who had surrendered, but the Lord knew they'd surrender. You know, we don't know uh, what God has in store, but we know that he, he wants us to preach the gospel and to declare, you know, what, what God's able to do. And I've just seen every single time we've stood how, you know, our, our, you know, enemies or adversaries, you know, they have to submit, they have to acknowledge that they're wrong, you know, and I've seen that with both Bob and Mariah in court and with news media. 
and with so many situations that I just hope this would be encouraging to, to, to people around the world that we can stand because we have that, that fullness of assurance, as it says in Hebrews chapter 10, that we, we can just know that God's going to work. And when we have nothing else, like Mariah said a minute ago, we have uh, evidence on our side. You know, we have the First Amendment on our side. I think we have a ruling from the Supreme Court. But what we really have on our side is God. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what we really have. It doesn't matter where you are in the world today. God's working. And I do believe that we're going to see his, his face. We're going to see his return soon. And we have such a great opportunity. And every mm -hmm. Sunday when, when we have people come to the church and get saved, it's like, I'm like, this was another Sunday. If we don't have another Sunday, I know this week was for that person or for this, this, this work that God wanted to do today. And I just live like that. I just think every Sunday is a gift. I look forward to it. And I just know God's going to work. And it's encouraging and it's crazy. It's like you have this, you know, the, the attacks and you have, you know, the, the people that are, are angry. And then you have like uh, people on my street, the neighbors who aren't even Christians. They're for us. They're coming to church, you know, and then people are getting saved. And I think there's the, the reality of God doesn't want lukewarm Christianity anymore. He doesn't want Laodicea. And we have to decide. It's not just that he's on the outside of the church. I think of what's happened last year. All these churches close his doors. Like the Lord's on the outside of the church knocking to get in. But also just how that church brags about all the things that they say about themselves. You know, that they, they say we have all these things when it doesn't matter what really is what God says and what God mm -hmm. wants to do. And so I, I every week it's, it's a gift. I think it's, it's just showing up with expectation that God's going to work, whether it's in court I just, I'm so thankful for Bob and Ryan, you know, they're trained, they do this, but I think it's, it's the church, it's the congregation, it's the prayers of the people that are watching this right now. It really is. It's a battle that we cannot win uh, in our, in our flesh. And it's really going to be won by the Holy Spirit. And it's really won through prayer. So the real warriors that are fighting this are not pastors or lawyers necessarily. It's those that are interceding and I believe God wants to bring an awakening. And you know what's going to happen, Jim, if we don't have an awakening in our country. I mean, you, you know this. We need a, a real revival in, in, in the church. We need an awakening in our culture. Because I think all these things are just symptoms to how, how sick our culture has become at the core. And these are all just symptoms of just a, a, a nation that's, that's so far away from God. But if we can get the gospel out and people can get saved, and my prayer is, man, that the Lord... Jesus would be made more famous than, than the tech companies that this valley would be known for the revival of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done. And uh, that more important than, than what the tech companies have done. And, and so that's been my prayer. And I, and I, maybe through this case, God will do that. You know, maybe it's going to be other ways, but I know for today, it's like, this is such a great opportunity. And I'm just thankful for what God has done. He's brought us all the way to this point. And I don't think he's going to leave us. He's not. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. We have so many great and precious promises. And I'm just claiming those. I'm holding on to those. And I think our, our time is so short that it's just a privilege to be counted faithful, to be put in the ministry. And especially, I think, of all the saints that we get to live today for such a time as this. We get to live on really the precipice of the end of what God's really bringing, I, mean, I just look at the world today and, you know, you look at the revived Roman empire. I, I think of that almost now as like the world economic forum. Uh, and, and just the things happening today, it's exciting times. And it's, it's also perilous times, but as Christians, it's times that we need to stand and we need to do all we can to stand. Like it says in Ephesians six thirteen, and to, to not stop, just keep standing, keep praying. So thank you so much for your prayers. And uh, I'm just praying that, that we would see, people all over, you know, this valley where we live get saved, but all over the country, you know, all over the state of California, you know, imagine if a revival broke out again in, Cal in California, like the Jesus movement way back in the sixties when, you know, the Lord was just working. And I just think he's getting ready to work. I see evidences of that every week, every week, people coming and getting saved. So I'm, I'm excited and uh, it is a lot of pressure, but that's what we pay, uh, you know, attorneys for you know, we pay them to worry for us and to take all the the, <laughs> the hard, heavy lifting in that area. But we can just trust in God. And, and, and that's what I'm so thankful for, for what God's been doing so far. And I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to the revival that's going to come. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, I meet a pastor who so encourages me. And that happened when I met you two, two weeks ago. We were together at your church at a conference and your church hosted. And boys, I heard your story. 
the came away saying, just praising God, God for you. Um, you're one of those guys, I've said it in pastor's conferences when I've spoken before, stop telling stories and illustrations about Bonhoeffer and start being him for goodness sakes. Mm. Don't tell one more story about Bonhoeffer unless you're willing to act like him. And thank you for being a, a true Bonhoeffer and living, uh, living it out. I'm so, so appreciative of you. And I just want to say, all of you who are listening, if you're the kind of person who is inclined to contact me or people like me and say, would you please talk to my pastor so he'll do what's right on these issues? I've gotten bolder in my old age and saying, for goodness sakes, no, I will not talk to him or her that way on purpose. They're not going to change. I cannot change them. Go find a pastor like Pastor Mike, who will stand and courageous, be courageous. You must, for the sake of your soul, find a pastor who will live out and who will present the whole counsel of God. And if you're one who wants somebody to come talk to your pastor to try to bring correction in that area, go to a church where you don't need that. Find a pastor like him. I just want to say, uh, I, I know there's got to be costs, and so I don't know whether you're doing this work pro bono or, or however that arrangement, but uh, if you want to help in the defense, cost for defense, give that website again where they might be able to donate. Thanks, uh, Pastor Jam and Mike. Yes, we uh, we do work pro bono. Um, I will I will give a, a bit of a plea right now. If uh, uh, any lawyers out there who have experience, uh, very experienced lawyers uh, who are willing to uh, really uh, roll up their sleeves, we we need help. Um, and uh, we need to hire a few lawyers. And so our work is pro bono. And our website, if someone wants to help donate, is uh, www.faith-freedom.com. Our organization name is Advocates for Faith and Freedom. Faith-freedom.com. Pro bono is a fancy way of saying they need help. Uh, it means they're, they're, they're working hard. And In other words, they're free. <laughs> uh, uh, under, now nothing is free. And they're underpaid. So thank you, World Prayer Network, for your support of them. I'm going to ask this question, and it's not uh, it's not intended to be for political pressure per se, but it's for for factual awareness, the importance of voting. Some of the judges you're dealing with may be appointed, some may be elected. Are you dealing with elected judges or appointed judges or a combination? Well, in federal court, uh, the judge is appointed for life. In state court. Uh, the judges are elected in California. So they're typically appointed by Governor Newsom. And then uh, thereafter, they are elected on a, I believe it's a six-year basis. Now, it's harder to know how to vote as it comes to judges, because judges, when they run for office, hide behind me. I can't speak out on the issue how I would be, because who knows, I may have to rule on that one. So I, 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 can't, I can't reveal you my views. Um, don't let them off with that. Press, press, press judges on where they stand on issues. When you meet with them, talk with them. You can get a readout fairly quickly. And so we elect judges that respect the constitution of our nation, of our state, and respect biblical authority. That would be to our advantage in every one of these situations. That's my appeal. That's not coming from the attorneys. It's not even coming from Pastor Mike right now. That's Jim speaking. The importance to honoring God in even the judicial aspect. And there are a couple, a couple places where people can get information on, on judges. Um, the one I know, uh, election forum, I think it's electionforum.com friend, uh, of ours, Craig Huey, uh, runs that and they do a lot of research on judges and I know they do so in California. I'm not sure if they do it in other States. Uh, also, uh, in California, there is another friend, her name's Robin Nordell. Uh, she has, um, I can't remember what her website is, but Robin Nordell, N-O-R-D-E-L-L, -L, I think. Um, so uh, there's, you know, opportunities there where nowadays people are starting to do more research on judges. So, you know, do a search. I uh, probably won't find it on Google. <laughs> you may have to go to one of the alternative search engines like Brave or DuckDuckGo, and maybe you'll find those uh, resources. Yeah, Robbins, I think, is Robbins Picks or something like that. Robbins Picks dot something. <laughs> so Google Robin Nordell, N-O-R-D-E-L-L, -L, 
and then electionforum.org. I believe it. Dot, dot, well, dot. it might be dot .org. Craig okay. Huey, H-U-E-Y. Yeah. That's, that's very good. Father God, I pray blessing over Pastor Mike and that congregation. Encourage every one of them in the name of Jesus. I pray over these attorneys. Thank you for their brilliant minds. Thank you for their fierce commitment to truth and holiness and righteousness and biblical justice. I pray an anointing upon them. I pray protection over them, their family, their finances, their relationships, every component of their life. We pray for an avalanche of blessings to come on them and, and a circle of protection to go around them. And Lord, we declare victory in conformity to your word, your way, your will. We know what your word is on issues like this. And so we declare victory over this in the name of Jesus. And I pray an Isaiah 40 moment to bring up the valleys and bring down the mountains and prepare the highway for these attorneys and this pastor to walk on until we see victory and full vindication to Pastor Mike McClure and Calvary Chapel of San Jose. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to pray. And, and Lord, as one birthed in the Bay Area and born again during the Jesus movement, we declare and decree the Jubilee this year mm -hmm. from, from the revival that you poured out so abundantly, so graciously upon not only the entire Bay Area, the nation and the world. And we thank you, Father, for an Ephesians 6 church that is taking on the gods of this world the way the believers did in Ephesus against the globalists of worshiping Diana and other pagan entities. And Father, we thank you for the full armor of God and that they are standing in prayer, praying continually in the spirit and demonstrating the spiritual formula that we all need to place to um, take hold of now and to employ the full armor of God as we stand against returning uh, demonic strongholds that are rising in our nation at this time. Thank you for the pattern of victory that they are displayed to us and grant them even more boldness and fortitude in the coming days, even for them to be the launch of the revival that is due this jubilee this June, and we declare the um, Feast of Pentecost, Shavuot, a great outpouring upon all nations once again. In Yeshua's name, amen. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Thank you for listening to the Well-Versed Podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.